0: Welcome to the HCC podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. Holy Spirit, the vast majority of folks here today are Americans remembering that tragic moment 20 years ago. But Holy Spirit, I pray that in spite of all of the struggle and ebb and flow and up and downs that we've had since then, and even our current struggle right now, we are praying that you would help us to recenter the cross in our life, our personal life, our church life, and our national life. My prayer is that we as bearers of the cross would recognize that before we are flag wavers, we are cross bearers and that we recognize that leading is the cross and following is the flag. The flag is not preeminent or higher than the cross, but the cross upholds the flag Any nation can only be blessed by God when they humble themselves and depend on you. My prayer is that as we as a nation repent of our waywardness, my prayer is that we would come back, we would recognize this weekend and the tragedy of it and the pain of it and the reflection of it, and we would return once again to you and make you preeminent, make you first, make you highest. And as we lift you up, you will draw all people to you. It's the only hope of our nation, Lord. And we pray today that we will be bearers of the cross to a nation who has often forgotten what holds it up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. In a time of such bad news, today I want to push through it all, and I want to push into the notion of what it means to proclaim good news to your soul. You can get plenty of bad news. You could dial it in right now on your phone. You can dial in. You can stream 24-7 bad news But I'm recommending today that you allow me to help you get situated in your soul in a way that will help you recognize that through all of the bad news, and there is plenty of it, is coming good news always through. We have to know the bad news before we can recognize the good news. So let's be clear about the bad news there was this story of a pilot who was flying in their tricks and flying shows and air speed shows and all of that. And they were so used to this notion of being able to do one of their tricks, which was flying upside down. I mean, this was amazing stunts and ways in which they do this. And it was fascinating to watch. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I've certainly seen it, this idea of pilots being able to fly in that particular way. But this one particular pilot, as they were flying, pulled up in order to go into a steep climb and soar. And when they did, they crashed right into the ground. Somehow, some way, that pilot... Through all of the turns and dives and climbs and twists and spins, somehow, some way, became disoriented and didn't somehow recognize that at that moment they were actually flying upside down instead of flying right side up. And when you get disoriented in a plane and you recognize that you are indeed flying upside down when you try to pull up into a steep climb, nothing ever really goes very well at that point. Nothing ever goes very well at that point. Do you ever get the idea or the eerie feeling that we're living in a disoriented way? Just in our life. That somehow we're all flying upside down, and that our life navigation instruments are broken in some way. And with all of the twists and turns, the ups and downs, the spirals, the climbs and the declines in life, somehow, some way, we end up flying upside down. And every time we try to pull up and go into a steep climb or try to soar, we somehow end up crashing into the ground. Look at the human wreckage all around us. Just think about the conversation that's often being had on social media, in the context of your workplace, in your family, when you're gathered together, when you're talking with friends, when you're just in the grocery store and you're chit-chatting with people. Somehow, way, it seems to always feel like there's this sense of bad news all around us, wreckage all around us, crashes, burning, carnage goodness the world is in a mess I don't know any one of us that would just disagree with that and not just because of covid it's not just because of covid previous to two years ago the world was in a mess already it's not just because of covid it's not just because of politics that's just too simplistic and thin but because It's a mess because humanity's flying upside down, by and large. Lives are a mess because humanity's flying upside down, by and large. Whole generations are a mess because they're flying upside down, by and large. Are you tired of flying upside down? Are you tired of trying to pull up and always crashing into the ground? The following information that I'm going to share with you is not something I just made up. It is something that I've researched, something I've looked into, something I've discovered. But it's from a preeminent social research scientist that has been heads of psychological associations all over the world. And in fact, past president of the American Psychological Association, Martin Seligman, who doesn't claim to be a Christian and doesn't claim to be representing or serving any Christian institution. But check this out. Depression now ravages teenagers. Fifty years ago, the average age of a person first a person's first depressive episode was marked at about 30. Now the first one is below the age of 15. I think any of us would say, Whew, yeah, the younger generation is full of anxiety and depression. I think we're awash in it. I think all of us feel a sense of that ambient anxiety. But but yet, Seligman goes on to say that this is a paradox. This is incongruent. It's incoherent. It doesn't make sense. Particularly if you believe, as most non-Christian social scientists believe, that human well-being comes from a good environment. For a century now, at least, social engineers politicians, all kinds of futurists have believed that if we can just get everything controlled to our liking in the world around us, we will be happy. I imagine that you also believe that, how many of you are saying, if I could just get that promotion, everything would fall in line, or, or if this would happen, if I could get married, or if I could get unmarried, you know what I mean? We're thinking, well, goodness gracious, if this would fix or that would change, if I could get these things to align up, everything would go my way and I would finally be happy. You may be thinking exactly that, but unfortunately, no matter how much we try to think like that and try to order our external world, the research just simply disagrees, Sellingman states this, you have to be blinded by ideology not to see that almost everything is better in every wealthy nation than it was 50 years ago. Now, if you're not sure whether that's an accurate statement or not, let's let's look at some of the statistical research done regarding the progress in the last 50 years. Progress in the last 50 years. We now have about three times more actual purchasing power in the United States. That's just simply an economic fact. The average house has doubled in size from 1,200 square feet to 2,500 square feet. In 1950, there was one car for every two drivers. Now there are more cars than licensed drivers. One out of five children went on to post high school education 50 years ago. Now, one out of every two children does. The research goes on that, the, that this progress is not just limited to these things. It's also well beyond this. The statistical research indicates that in the last 50 years, there's actually more music being produced now than there's ever been produced before. There's more women's rights. There's less racism. There's more entertainment and more books available to more people than ever before in history. Literacy around the world has doubled and outpaced itself in the last 50 years. Now, if you would have told my parents that when I was a little kid back then, who were living in a 1,200-square-foot house with one car and one income, growing up in a civil rights era where all kinds of trouble and problems were happening, all kinds of conflict was emerging, having limited travel access and access to information, that would, that would all this would be attained in just 50 years. I know what they would say. They would say, that would be a miracle and that would be paradise. A miracle it might be, but obviously it's not paradise national happiness indicators say that with me with me national happiness indicators there's actually a thing they measure that national happiness indicators have barely budged in 50 years even as the world has made such amazing progress in prosperity and social issues and comfort and convenience. Folks, we have beds that adjust all night long to our comfort. We, 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 have, we have cars that can't be fixed by us. We, we have self-healing type balms that go on our bodies. We have essential oils that cure all ills. We, come on. We, we, th- this is amazing. But here's the reality. The reality is this. National happiness in the last 50 years, the reality is this, that the average person from Denmark, Italy, and Mexico is somewhat more satisfied with life than 50 years ago but the average American Japanese and Australian is no more satisfied with life than 50 years ago and the average person from Britain Germany is less than satisfied and the average Russian is much unhappier folks yeah Facebook and the iPhone come on how can we be the same as we were 50 years ago this is the reality Seligman asks why this is, and he follows it up with this answer nobody knows. That doesn't bring me a sense of comfort. There's no warm fuzzy in that. Nobody knows. I thought you were going to tell me, Marty. But Marty didn't tell me. But he gave lots and lots of insight into the research and theories as to why. Perhaps the intellectuals would rather not admit that humanity's life instruments are broken and we're all flying, by and large, upside down. Or even more people are flying upside down more than ever before, 50 years later. Yet Seligman risked this. This is what he risked. The following assessment. He risked this assessment as to why we have so much stuff and such little satisfaction. It has everything to do with the failures of the modern age. And let me put that in context. I'm gonna do a lot more work on this on Wednesday night at at my Bible study midweek. If you wanna come and dig deeper into the history of this and how we got to where we are, I'm gonna do a lot more of this coming Wednesday. But get this, the failures of the modern age. I don't know if you remember the age of enlightenment. You know, what did we sing in the 60s? The age of Aquarius. You know, we, we, we had that... Are you laughing at me or are you laughing with me? I'm not sure. Okay. Hopefully it's with me. So, uh, you know, th- we've got this, this emerging. Everybody expected that the modern age would fix everything. We were going to fix all our health problems. We are going to solve all of our ills. All government issues and economic issues would be solved. We as human beings were so brilliant. We were so brilliant that there's no way that 50 years could go by and we wouldn't have everything fixed because the rush of scientific and geopolitical intelligence was so raw, skyrocketing that there's no way we couldn't be excessively happy 50 years from then. But we mistakenly call it prosperity. And every indicator around the world is that the whole world, all wealthy nations are far more, quote, prosperous than they were 50 years ago, yet everyone that they test is far more unhappy, unsatisfied, disillusioned, disoriented, in my words, flying upside down. In the end life satisfaction happiness peace well-being all seems to have its root according to all of this research in what in meaning meaning without a deep sense of life meaning nothing else matters Viktor Frankl did landmark research with regard to the concentration camps in World War II, and what he discovered when he himself was a concentration camp member, what he discovered after that as a psychologist and did all the research, was that if you have a why to live, if you have a why, you can deal with any what. If you have a why, you can deal with any what. That tracks back. In fact, his whole psychotherapy program was called logotherapy. It was all about purpose and meaning. Put another way, it could be said that you could gain the whole world and still not satisfy your soul. The current clear understanding of human anthropology from non-Christian research is that we indeed, you and I, are meaning-making creatures. We are meaning-making creatures. Without meaning, we fall to despair, anxiety, fear, depression. All of these things rise when we don't have a sense of meaning Positive life meaning is the foundation of happiness. So the pursuit of happiness is based in the discovery of a positive life meaning. Not in more stuff. Not in the latest app. Not in a new house. Not in a new job. Not in a new marriage partner. Not in more money. It's steeped and based in positive life meaning. If it's based in anything else, it is based on shifting sand, not on the rock. Seligman and those with him in the burgeoning field of positive psychology are clear that this pervasive unhappiness is the result of a failed attempt by humanity to save themselves and the world with stuff. Remember, you have to be clear about the bad news before you'll recognize the good news. And, and this Wednesday, again, I'm going to dig deeper into this in my midweek pastor's Bible study to the history of it and how we got here. But right now, stay with me. Just stay with me. We're, we're making the turn towards the good news. Secularization has failed. I'm suggesting to you that what you, me, and the world needs is not more progressive secularization, but a renewed sense of practical sacredization. And you would say, Steve, is that a word? (laughs) And I say to you, no. I made it up. I'm up here, I get to make it up. So yes, I made up that word, secularization, but goodness gracious, is it not a wonderful counterbalance to secularization? What did we talk about last week? We talked about work and the sacredness of secular work. How we can take our whole life and bring it in, bring it up to a sacred level, where we're changing diapers for the glory of God, where we're eating and drinking for the glory of God, where we're doing spreadsheets and teaching elementary school students and, 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 and driving trucks and welding things. we're doing it all for the glory of God. How do we do that? We do that not by secularization. The world's not going to get a, become a happier place because we're getting more secular. The research is clear. Nobody's getting happier because we're getting more secular. The more we remove the cross out of the center, the more we take the sacredness of God's kingdom out of our minds and our life, the less and less happy and fulfilled we are. Duh! The Bible's been teaching us that forever, and the Bible's saying we need more... sec. sec Say it with me. Sacredization. What is sacredization? Sacredization. The recognition that positive life meeting transcends any individual or societal sense of success but comes exclusively from the God of the Bible who loves and wants you in spite of you. Oh my goodness! This is meaning that transcends any bad news. This is meaning that takes it up and over the bar. This is meaning that goes beyond any disappointment, any grief, any struggle, any pain. It takes you to a place where you recognize that human success in a a secular societal sense of success is not really success because it doesn't bring life satisfaction, happiness. Meaning does. And meaning is found and the one who made you. What's up with us? What is up with us? We know that life matters beyond biology. We know that. We know that life matters beyond ideology, beyond iPhones, beyond Xboxes, beyond politics, beyond money, beyond opinion. We know that we know this. We know that life matters beyond all the external prosperity. You know it in your knower. Can you all touch your knower? (laughs) This is where your knower is. This is not your knower. Your knower is in here. It's your intuition. You know in your knower that human life, red, yellow, black, white, strong, weak, rich, poor, must have meaning beyond biology. Must have meaning beyond ideology must have meaning beyond personal opinions or modern metrics of success. You know that in your knower, but you're not quite sure why. The sense that life matters beyond biology and culture cannot be rationalized away or put through some scientific method to dispel it. You know and I know. In our knower that life matters beyond all of these measures of success that you and I typically rely on, but we're just not sure how to explain it. We end up in a place like this. We end up at a graveside. We end up at a funeral service, and all of a sudden, life has tremendous meaning. We've been wandering around through life, not thinking about it, you know, you know th- banking on the fact that if we get this and get that and don't have that and this person stops annoying us, all of a sudden we'll be happy. Then we get to a funeral service of a loved one who's passed and all of a sudden it brings it right to the surface and we realize life is meaningful. You can't go to a funeral service of a loved one and pretend that it doesn't mean anything. That's why you go you go to the funeral service because you want to celebrate life but what if the person was homeless addicted to drugs right they're worthless right don't even show up what's the sense that person didn't really rise to the level they should have risen to they they could have been much more successful but they weren't so they're much less worth in human life terms in meaning terms than you know that's not true you know it in your knower you might not try to defend it scientifically, but you know when you know her, that's the truth. Well, you know what about the other end of the perspective? What about this? How many of you grab onto your little baby, lift that baby up, and hold it like Mufasa held Simba, <laughs> and just and just say, "Oh." you pretty little, absolutely meaningless mass of chemical reactions. (laughs) Does any of you dance with your wife and say, honey, I just need to tell you, you are so meaningless. (laughs) Do you, dear meaningless woman, dear worthless man, Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Do it. We don't. Nobody thinks like that. Nobody even imagines to think like that. Life meaning has got to come from beyond us. I don't look at this little baby and say, Jury's out. I don't know if you're meaningful or not. We'll see how it works out. If you achieve this and you arrive at that and you have this much money and you get this many degrees and you have this level of promotion and you have these two cars and this 2,500 square foot house or more, you know, then all of a sudden I'll, I'll reserve judgment until then. But, but for right now, good luck. Let's see what happens. You know, who's doing that? Nobody's doing that. Ralph Burley, a, a great friend of mine in this church, is my grandparent mentor. And he told me, he said, listen… Forget your kids. Just pour everything on your grandkids. (laughs) Amen? Oh, yeah. He's my mentor. My kids don't like it. Who cares? (laughs) The question that I'm asking you today is this. Does your child's life, does your parent's life, does your friend's life, does your life matter beyond biology, economy, or ideology, does it? I'm inviting you to trust your intuition. I'm inviting you to trust the known in your knower and believe today that it does. Graves and babies. Graves and babies. They tell us this. They tell us this. The problem is keeping it straight in the meantime. We feel it at babies, and we feel it at funerals. The problem is maintaining it throughout all of life. If you admit with the research that life matters beyond biology and ideology, then you're going to have to go beyond science and philosophy to get that kind of transcendent meaning, the kind of positive life meaning you crave in the deepest part of you. Are you here today feeling a bit empty in the deepest part of you. This is the reality. You're going to have to have to leap from poor scientific reason to rich spiritual reason. You're going to have to leap. You're going to have to move. You can't trust the science. You can't trust the politics. You can't trust the economy to bring life satisfaction and meaning. You can only trust your Creator. This is the good news. This is the joy of Christian faith. That according to Christianity, that sense you have, that human life matters beyond amassing more stuff, is there because God placed it in your heart. He placed it in your knower. You're always seeking for that sense of satisfaction and life meaning because God's original intended creative purpose for you is to find it. The Bible states that God planted eternity, transcendent meaning, in our hearts. That sense of you, that sense you have at at births and funerals, that life matters beyond biology, matters beyond your opinion, is there because God placed it there. It's in the research because who could research it and not discover it because God put it there? We are meaning-making creatures because our Creator made us that way. The God who loves you says that all human life is immortally meaningful. Immortally meaningful. You're going to live forever because that's how you were created. You are going to live forever The question is, are you going to live forever with your creator in the way in which you were created to live or forever without your creator in the way you were not intended or created to live? Next week, next weekend, I'm going to start a series on the meaning of life in four chapters. The chapters are the way it was, the way it is, the way it can be, and the way that it will be. It's the story of God and humanity and the meaning of life. We're going to take four Sundays just to go over it, unpack it, sit with it, soak in it in these chapters and glean this full understanding. And here's just a little tiny preview of the Christian take on life and death. Your life matters so much to God that God was willing to leave perfect heaven and join imperfect humanity on broken earth. Why? Not to condemn it. Not to condemn it, but to save it. That's the story of Jesus Christ. It's not to come into the world to throw heap guilt and shame on anybody, but to come into the world to redeem them, to to, to restore to them what they so long for, and that is a deep sense of life satisfaction and meaning. That is the good news of the Bible. So many people give it a bad rap thinking it's a rule book and all it wants to do is throw shame and and condemnation on everyone. Yet the Bible teaches us itself that to come to Christ is to come to someone who has no condemnation for you, only forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration of life, meaning and purpose and joy. God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And in spite of what humans are making of it, God is determined to save it. You can be part of that salvation plan. No other world religion makes that claim. Every other world religion claims that for human life to be meaningful and to enter paradise or nirvana or whatever the afterlife is in that world religion, human beings must make up life meaning on their own by measuring up. To that God of that religion. Every other world religion's God is impersonal, distant, and life meaning is based on religious and moral performance. Christianity's gotten a bad rap. It's not that. Christianity is the only world religion claiming that because humanity can't make up life meaning on its own or even make it to God, their creator on their own. God will make it to humanity. And that is the joy and the story of Jesus Christ. And because humanity will never measure up to God's standard of perfection on their own, on our own, God God took on human form to measure up for them. Get this. God didn't need you. He wanted you. That's a very different thing. I need a washing machine. I want my wife. I don't need my wife. I want my wife. That's a very different quality. I need my dentist. I want my wife. That's a very, very different quality this is the christian good news god doesn't need you he wants you your life matters because your life matters to god so much that god was willing to descend into physical death in order to transcend physical death and offer you life beyond death The good news is that Jesus Christ transcended human failing and offers humans all that would believe in him, reconciliation with God, their creator, and reconciliation with the meaning of life, which is to know God, be known by God, and allow that love to pervade their life. I'm inviting you today to recalibrate your life instruments. Stop flying upside down i'm introducing you today to the god that is beyond biology beyond ideology beyond personal opinions or assessments a god that gives life meaning beyond all of that would you like to know god today you can listen to this passage The God who loves you says this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Christ. It goes on. And to all who believe in Jesus and accept him He gives them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human biology, passion, or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Goodness gracious. God didn't need you. He wanted you. This is the good news right here, right now. God loves you because God wants to. If you will receive that unconditional love and open yourself to the loving God that he is, you will discover your life's meaning. I don't know. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here and the quarter's dropped. Maybe the quarter's dropped. Maybe you've been a Christian. You've been, a quote, a Christian for a long time, but you've been doing it by performance. It's like you're a Christian, but a part of another world religion somehow. You're performing. You're trying to be morally good, to measure up and make sure God's happy with you. I'm trying to please the gods. Well, that's not Christianity at all. Maybe today the quarter's dropped for you. Maybe you haven't lived with God at all or thought much about God, but today the quarter dropped for you. And today, right now, right here in this moment, deepen your soul You just have this nagging feeling that something's missing. Well, you just might be flying upside down. Today, you can turn your life right side up. Christianity at its core is about living right side up. Are you living right side up? If you're not, here's how you can start living right side up today. And it's as easy as a C A. admit to God through a personal prayer that you don't really know God and that you would like to. Even if you've been pretending to be a Christian for 40 years and you've realized today, oh my goodness, I've been trying to earn God's love. I don't have to do that. Maybe this is you today. Maybe it's you who has never professed to be a Christian. This would be your first step, A. It's step A. Here's step B. Believe. Tell God through prayer that you believe Jesus died and rose from the dead to reconcile yourself and God. And C. Commit your life to getting to know God better and better every day. Because what good is knowing God if when and you only know God on Sunday morning? What good is that? This God that we're talking about is a God with relevance for everyday life in every area of life who wants to reconcile all of your life to God. He created you for it and it for you. And he wants to see it all reconciled to the purpose that you were originally created for in him. Again, A, admit, B, believe, and C, commit. It's as simple as that. Would you stand with me? I wanna invite you right now to, to consider doing that, to consider just admitting, believing, and committing, that you have that opportunity today, to do that right now. There are people, there's gonna be people under the screens down here. Denise is over on my left, and we have folks that are gonna be on my right. They're just here for you. If you wanna step up to them, if you wanna go up and say, hey, Denise, pray for me or you want to come over here and pray with those folks under under the screen over here, you're welcome to do that in person. If you're uncomfortable with that, feel free. You don't don't need to move up here for for this time of prayer. If you're here today and you're like, I just just want to personally engage or renew my commitment to God, maybe you want to do it through communion. Communion is available at the altar. You just come up, simply take one of those self-contained little cups and wafers and just... Because of COVID, you know, we don't have elders doing that right now, but, but you can do it. You don't need an elder. You can do it. You can step up and you can recommit yourself to Christ. Maybe you don't want to pray with someone personally, but you want to do that. That's here and it's available to you at the front. Just step out of your aisle and come right up here and engage that while we're singing this song. If you're at home and you want to do that, maybe right now you just want to get physically on your knees. Maybe you just want to bow your head, hold your hands closed, and just offer to God that prayer, that admission, That belief, that commitment, it's as easy as A, B, C. But then the next step is living it out. That's the commitment, living it out. Come back next week. Come back the week after. Get involved in other things. Learn more about God. Grow. Grow in your relationship. Experience the soul family of God. This is what the Christian life is about. This is what life meaning is. All the other things will come together when you get God's kingdom straight in your life. So as we sing this song and as we engage this time, I just want to invite you to just talk to God in your own way. Just talk to God about your life and where you are and the deep feeling you have inside in your knower. And start this relationship. It starts with a conversation. Just like any relationship. It just starts with a conversation. So right now as we sing and you listen to these words and and you feel that sense of his presence, would you just open yourself to a life with God? Because he's right here, right now, and right there, in your house, in your car, in the gym, right there with you. Come on, church. Let's respond. Thank you, God. You are